All right, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 this morning. Again, if you're new or visiting, uh, we go through the book of Acts. We're going through it verse by verse. We hit the comfortable verses and we hit the uncomfortable verses uh, because as Christians, we want to be more like Jesus. And sometimes that can be very uncomfortable. So we're in Acts chapter 5. going to try to do the whole chapter. So instead of reading it, we'll just pray and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we just come to worship you. We, we just continue in our worship. As believers, we should worship you 24-7 with our lives. And so right now, we surrender our hearts, our minds. We don't, we're not, take the, help us to take those thoughts captives about this afternoon, the football game or dinner or lunch or whatever it might be vying for our attention, the bills, the illness, whatever it might be, that we could take those thoughts captive and really be attentive to your word, your love letter. What you have for us this morning in eternity, these few short minutes in eternity. I pray for the gift of teaching. And Father, that you will be glorified in and through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can get the CD. They're free. They're up on the wall over there. But last week we touched on the first uh, 11 verses, Ananias and Sapphira. You know, after what happened to them, people stepped back in awe, as we're going to see this morning. In awe of God. And they evaluated their own lives in connection with the church. And so as we read this this morning, that's that's basically what was just taking place. You know, there was a, there was a revival that had taken place. Uh, there was a renewal. There was an excitement. Hey, let's be a part of this. And then Ananias and Sapphira. And so people, wait a minute. Do I really want to be a part of this? Do I understand the depth of it? You see, many people decided to withdraw from this movement, yet there were still others who were brought into fellowship with the church. And so verses 12 through 16, Acts chapter 5. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the church, or added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So we see here that there are tremendous miracles being performed by who? By the Holy Spirit. Remember? Remember the book of Acts is really the book of the Holy Spirit through the people, through you and I as well. And so the Holy Spirit was performing miracles through the hands of the apostles. And and the apostles, as we saw a couple weeks ago, they were just going through their daily routine, but they were available for God. They were available to be used. And Luke here gives us a little commentary in the midst of these verses. They were ministering in Solomon's porch, would have been up on the Temple Mount. Yes, Jerusalem was and still is the capital of Israel 
Israel belongs in the land. It is their land given to them by God. And so 2,000 years ago, as we read this, there's no debate. Archaeology backs this up. Uh, history backs this up. Even unbelievers that have written history, Josephus, backs this up. Jerusalem is Israel's. And the Temple Mount was the Temple Mount where the temple literally stood. Why do I emphasize this? Because even to this day... Islam denies that it was ever a, a, a capital of Israel, that Israel ever belonged in Israel, that they don't own the Temple Mount, they never stepped foot on it, there was never a temple there, blah, 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 blah. So we just got to read the, the Word of God and even history. And archaeology is proving it over and over and over again. So they were ministering in Solomon's porch, and which would have been alongside the eastern wall of the temple area. But because of that situation with Ananias and Sapphira, there were some who didn't dare come into their ranks. Notice in verse 13, yet none of the rest dared join them. They were they, they, they developed a healthy fear that came upon the people, and they, they developed that. And at the same time, those people on the outside of the church did acknowledge that there was something special taking place amongst the believers. Notice that at the end of verse 13. But the people esteemed them highly. Not the religious elite that we're going to see, but the common person, the common individual. Then we see that there were others who desired to come and join themselves to the church in verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Very important, men and women. So what do we see in those two verses? What what do I see? I see two groups of people. One group is made up of people who are on the outside looking in. They, They might want to be a part of a church, but are unwilling to make that commitment. Even as we sang this morning, I was going to have Jim put up the second song, but we just don't have enough time. But the second song that we sang, it's a commitment, guys. It's a life commitment. It's not a, well, I'll just punch the clock on Sunday morning and go home and be content. Not if you're a believer, not if you're a disciple. You're not going to be content. The Holy Spirit's going to stir you. The Holy Spirit's going to give you a desire to do something that we can stuff that desire. We can deny that desire. But as a believer, we shouldn't. We should just let go. The other group is made up of those who are willing to commit even though they do not have their lives all together. And that's important for you and I as we are here in a church. We're here in a building. The church is believers. We're here in a building, and this building is a hospital. And I encourage you to invite people to the hospital. You might even want to say, hey, you want to go with me on Sunday to the hospital? That will get their attention to the hospital. What are you talking about? Well, I'm going to be going to church. You're going to draw them in. I've never heard that before. What, what are you talking about? Well, our church is a hospital. It helps people. I need a hospital. Do you ever need a hospital? Yeah, I need a hospital. That's what we do. We go to the hospital. We get encouraged. We get strengthened. We get rebuked at times. But the Holy Spirit, who is called the Comforter, is there to build us up. You see, God is willing to work with this second group and bring them to that place of wholeness and contentment. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and maybe you just don't feel whole. You feel there's a void in your life, especially as an unbeliever. Who in this room was an unbeliever at one time? Any of in this room in the room an unbeliever? Go ahead, feel free to raise your hand because you all were, right? We all were. We all had that void and we filled it with various things. Some of us might not have been drugs or alcohol. It might have been education. It might have been career. 
But we were all trying to fill that hole. Fill, fill, fill. And at the end of the day, we came up empty. And we finally realized, I need a Savior because I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And we received Jesus as our Savior, and that filled the void. And then we realized that it's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong commitment with eternal rewards. You see, the world, on the other hand, is looking for temporary relief from its temporal pain. Temporary relief from their temporal pain. Drugs, as I already mentioned, alcohol, sex, money, careers, hobbies. Hobbies can fill that void. But at the end of the day, no, there's still a hole there. You see, relief that will never come because is always a temporary pain within our lives in one fashion or another. But what is exciting is that we can see that men and women were coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus even after the situation with Ananias and Sapphira. You see, the Holy Spirit never stops working. In verse 15, very important, it gives us some insight about the Eastern culture that might cause some confusion, and so let's look into it. Because people were bringing the sick out into the streets so that Peter's shadow might pass over them. What is important for us to notice is in that verse 15, it's, it's not directly correlated to verse 16. Not directly. There, there could be an insinuation. There could be, yeah, we could, we could roll it into verse 16, but it's not absolutely certain. Even today in the Eastern culture, there is a superstition that if a good person's shadow comes across you, you will be blessed and that his goodness would be imparted to you. Conversely, they also believe that if a bad person's shadow comes across you, that you will be cursed and that evil will be attached to you. Now, certainly, certainly we don't have any silly superstitions like that in America, right? Like walking under a ladder. I walk under ladders, it's no big deal. Or crossing the, crossing the path of a, a black cat. Or maybe wearing special underwear. I'm not bashing. This is just reality, right? Or some type of religious artifact, art, article around your neck. I was born in that. You wear, you wear this around your neck, you're going to be kept safe. Or maybe that rabbit's foot tucked in your pocket. Not that anybody carries rabbit foots in here, but, or the four leaf clover. You see, superstitions, they can carry on even into our Christian faith. Or if you attend a certain amount of services that God will be obligated to answer your prayers. Or how about those chain letters that cross our paths? I press delete right away. I'm like, oh well, too bad. You see, unfortunately, superstitions abound in every culture and the word of God is the only way to dispel them. Notice the word of God is the only way to dispel them. Be careful not to allow yourself to succumb to silly superstitions or methods of men's minds. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Very important that we focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Notice that. 
As you therefore have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, I received Jesus. Many of you have heard this testimony, but for those who haven't, we received Jesus. I received Jesus. My wife received Jesus as a Roman Catholic. We were born and raised Roman Catholic. So we don't bash churches around here. We just talk religion. We talk facts. And so we actually received Jesus as our Savior. Whenever I mention that, most people, especially Catholics, would go, you did what? Yeah, I became born again in the Catholic Church. And then they're kind of bewildered. Well, how did that happen? Well, we read our, I I was around a guy who read his Bible, who believed in the Catholic Bible. Because you know, the Catholic Bible is the same as our Bible. It just has seven additional books in the Old Testament. New Testament, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, exactly the same. Romans 3, 23, exactly the same. Romans 6, 23, exactly the same. Romans chapter 10, exactly the same. So don't argue with religion with a Catholic. Just say, hey, are you reading your Bible? Because they can read their Bible. Because faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as I was reading my Catholic Bible and reading my Catholic Bible and reading my Catholic Bible, I started coming across verses, as you read from Genesis to Revelation, that contradicted church teaching. And as I would go to the priest and talk to the priest in a loving way and sincere way in my early 20s, he would give me the answers that, that was really confusing. Because, yes, our, our Bible does say this. There's one meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But our church fathers have taught us that it's okay to pray to Mary. Because Jesus is busy, so you can talk to Mary. And if you lose something, then you just talk to Anthony and he'll help you find it. Or if you want to sell your house, take a statue and bury it in the front yard and your house, house will sell. Now guys, I'm not making fun. This is reality. So if you're offended, you gotta mature and be mature enough to talk about reality. This is the silliness of religion. And so at 25, I finally had to say, you know what? I'm done. Because what it came down to, and this is it, this is Roman, uh, Mormons, Roman Catholicism, it's Jesus plus church teaching equals salvation. And if it comes down to a decision that needs to be made, church teaching supersedes the Bible. Don't argue with me about it. Go talk to the church, and you'll find that that is true. That's fact. If it comes down to a debate, and we want to have the correct answer, church teaching supersedes the Bible. I just say, I'm sorry, I'm done. The Bible is superior to church teaching. And this is what this verse says right here. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith. You see, when we left the Roman Catholic Church, we left the faith. We were going to hell according to church teaching. And when the elders come to our house and they knock on our door or I'm out working, I have a discussion with them because they need Jesus and they think they have Jesus. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer. So they'll say, oh, we know Jesus, but we've got our additional writings. And I'll say, so I left the Roman Catholic Church and they said I left the faith. Did I leave the faith? 
and they don't know what to answer. And then I was going to hell now. You see, and now I'm going to Calvary Chapel. I don't tell them I'm a pastor. And now I'm going to Calvary Chapel. So did I leave the faith? Jesus is still my Lord. He's my Savior. Well, now how about you? How about if you today decide that you're going to leave Mormonism? And you serve, you say we serve the same Jesus. You're going to leave Mormonism. Are you going to go to the third heaven, the second heaven, or the first heaven? Which none exists, the first heaven in the Bible, but not Mormonism. And they don't know what to say. No, no, we can't leave Mormonism. That's right, you can't. Because the church is more important than Jesus is. Joseph Smith is more important than Jesus is. Is that true? No, but that's reality. So we don't have to be afraid, and I don't beat them up, I don't mock them, I don't ridicule them. I I talk to them in love, trying to raise their awareness. Who are you placing above Jesus? You're placing Joseph Smith. According to your doctrine, Joseph Smith is going to be standing right next to Jesus judging me. According to your doctrine. They can't deny it. That's their doctrine. You don't need to know a whole lot. A little bit can be very dangerous. Because they can't deny it. So what does this say? Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Why? Verse 8. Guys, this is why. You and I, we need to be grounded in the word of God. Not grounded in Calvary Chapel. Grounded in the word of God. Why? Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. I've actually had people go from this church... Into, back into Mormonism because they didn't get rooted and grounded. They had a phase. And like any cult, as soon as you leave, you are ostracized. Don't contact us. Don't, don't talk to us. You can't talk to your siblings. You can't talk to family members. We want nothing to do with you. So guilt, condemnation to get you to come back. But if you're rooted and grounded, you're going to say, hey, you know what? I love you enough to tell you Jesus is the only way, the Jesus of the Bible, and I ain't coming back. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. Not a church. Calvary Chapel doesn't make you complete. We're just trying to reach our community and we can do it way better as a group than we can one-on-one. As I share with you often, we're supporting 45 missionaries right now at $250 per month. We all are sharing, are, are doing that. Could you by yourself support 45 missionaries at $250 per month? That's a little over $11,000 per month that we are giving to missionaries to go forth with the gospel, with the truth. That's why we need church. That's why we need one another because we're a hospital. And there are people in here that you can minister to and people that can minister to you. So we got to invite people into the hospital because Jesus is the only answer. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Wasn't that the last song that we just sang? Yes, it was. Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. Back in Acts, verse, 13, uh, verse 16, 
Also the multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing the sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Again, the text would insinuate that the shadow of Peter, this is what I meant by 15 and 16, this could insinuate that the shadow of Peter caused people to be healed. And again, the way to dispel any idea is to look at the scriptures for the truth. You see, this didn't happen in the life of Jesus. Do we we see a a picture of that in the life of Jesus? Where people are coming and laying people out so the shadow of Jesus passing by them would be healed. We don't see that. Do we see it explained in the epistles? Okay, if you, if you have a, your pastor, if you just lay everybody out in the aisles, or everybody out outside, just lay them out in the parking lot, that would really be hot, but you lay, you walk past them, they'll all be healed. Do you see that in the epistles anywhere? Nowhere. You don't see it anywhere. So that's why you want to read from Genesis to Revelation. In Acts 19, we read this, and we got a slide for it. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. That's crazy. Man, that's just crazy. So you take out your handkerchief. Okay, you're sick? Here. Put this on you. You'll get better. And they got better. It's in the word. So we can't deny it. But we got to look at it and go, well, what's it all about? What's it all about? You see, the scriptures in our lives today, there are rules. We have rules in the scriptures. But we also have exception to the rules. So you take the rule, and what is the rule? What is the rule in the New Testament? We see that oil is used in the New Testament, that you're supposed to anoint the sick with oil. You were also told that you should call for the elders of the church, elders, plural, so that no one will take credit. Oh, it's my healing hands. No, 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 no. Elders, so we should call for the elders, but we can also pray for one another. We see that in the scriptures. We can pray for one another to be healed. So what is the rule? As we see in the scriptures, the rule is pray, seek the eldership, use oil. What are the exceptions? We're reading them right here. The shadow and the handkerchiefs from Paul. Don't take an exception and make it the rule. Know the rule and allow God to use an exception. Could that happen another way? Absolutely. Uh, I know a gen- I know a man. Well, I was almost said gentleman. He's not a gentleman. I knew a man who actually did three prison terms. He was a scammer. He was a professional thief. Did he know God? His fruit said no. If he doesn't, he's in big trouble because he's still out there scamming people. But do you know that people actually got saved at his Bible study that he was doing, that he was leading? So the rule would be, don't hang around thieves. They didn't know they were hanging around a thief until he burned them and then they fled. But God still used that thief to get these people saved and into the kingdom. Well, that's kind of weird. Why would God do that? Because he loves people and he'll use a donkey to get somebody saved if he has to. So the exception was that case. 
You don't see that happening very often, but God still did it. So look at the rule and allow exceptions to the rules. Give the rule its proper place in the kingdom and allow for God to do the exceptional. Give the rule its proper place in the kingdom and allow for God to do the exceptional. That's what I get out of that. Verses 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. You see, the religious elite didn't like what was going on with these disciples. They were teaching, they were preaching, they were being used by God to heal hundreds, if not thousands of people. This group of people had to be stopped or there would be a turning away from the Jewish faith, so they thought, and traditions, thus threatening their religious lifestyle. So they arrested the apostles and they threw them in prison. Is this happening today in our world? Are Christians being arrested for preaching Jesus as the Christ? Feel free to say yes, because it truly is happening. Are they being tortured for Christ? Yes. Are they being killed in the name of Jesus today, even to this day? Yes. Yes. Religion is dangerous. Don't become religion. Religious. It's the worst thing that you could ever do. It's all about relationship. Verses 19 and 20. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, notice the angel gives them instructions. Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Interesting. Now we know the angel is not referencing how to build a house or how to start a business, but rather about eternal life in Jesus being the Christ. And Peter and the disciples were commissioned by Jesus to go and preach, teach, and then disciple those who received their testimony. You see, with all of the trinkets that this world offers, there is only one source of true peace and contentment. And that is a life that's filled with Jesus. Even in these days we're living in where the commercials are trying to make us discontent, discontent, discontent. That's what commercials are all about. That's what it's all about. Be discontent with the car you have. This new one will make you, oh, you're going to look so cool in this new car. Be discontent. Verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him and called the council together, so this would be the Sanhedrin, and all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. (laughs) Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned with rocks, not with medicinal marijuana, literally with rocks. We are afraid of the people. You see, here the disciples, they obeyed, and they went right back into the temple, that place where they had just been arrested the day before. You see, they didn't question the angel, nor did they flee from Jerusalem. You see, we see a group of disciples that were now filled with the Holy Spirit and to obey whatever the Spirit instructed them to do. 
Guys, this is so important for you and I, the days that we're living in. God definitely has a sense of humor. You see, they asked for the prisoners to be brought, but there was no prisoners to be brought. The guards were dumbfounded and came to the religious elite with empty hands. But as they were debating what had happened, someone came and told them the news. Those whom you put in prison, they're teaching the people again in the temple area. You see, this was obviously a tremendous shock for the whole group. How did they escape? Is there a traitor in our midst that let them out? You know, what's going on here? Verses 26, we're going to read it again through 28. Then the captain went with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Again, the Sanhedrin. Now not just Peter and John. We don't know how many disciples, if it's all 12, or we don't know the number, so we don't want to debate on that. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, and I actually have this highlighted in my Bible, this, this part here. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Notice that, doctrine. Not with your feelings or your emotions, but with your doctrine. And intend to bring this man's blood, who, they don't even want to say his name. Who's the man they're referencing here? Jesus. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. More threats and now a complaint. What's the complaint? That they were teaching about the resurrection. You're teaching about the resurrection. But 29 through 32. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, and again I have this highlighted, we ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to obey God rather than men. I'm a realist. I'm not a fatalist. I'm not a hypist. I'm a realist. And as I've said often, I want to encourage you guys to really pray about your commitment to Jesus Christ in the days that we're living in, in the next 16 months, what's going to happen in America, what could possibly happen. And ask yourself a simple question, am I ready to give it all up for Jesus? And this is not hypothetical anymore. This is reality. If you're not watching the debates or at least the highlights of the debates, I encourage you to at least watch the highlights of the debates because Christianity is on trial. Christianity is on trial. And depending on who gets in office, it's going to determine a lot of what's going to happen to Christians in America. And if you don't think anything's happening, then you are totally oblivious to life. Christians are being persecuted in churches, persecuted in in schools. If you are a teacher and you say, no, I'm not going to do this, you can be fired. And you will be fired for taking a stand for Jesus Christ. Wasn't it just a few years ago that Bibles were the main source of education in a school? The one schoolhouse, what did they use for books, for textbooks? Look it up, guys. They used the Bible. But now, oh no, 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 no. We don't care about your Bible. We don't care about you. So are you and I, are we ready to really make this commitment? It's easy to maybe say an amen to, but are you willing to lose your 401k, your savings account, your house, your vehicle? Are you ready to go to prison? And again, I'm not being theatrical. I don't think I'm being extreme. I think I'm being very real what's happened in the last 10 years to some Christians in this country that literally have lost everything and some are still battling so that they don't lose everything 
Even to this day, there's a gal in the state of Washington who is spending thousands and thousands of dollars to defend her faith and not lose her business, her house, everything. This is real. So are you and I, are we ready? We ought to obey God. You can't teach the Bible. You can't teach about that marriage is just between one man and one woman. You can't do that. (laughs) Hello, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to obey God. Come what may, I'm going to obey God. I've already settled in my heart. And I encourage you to do the same, guys, because you will have to choose. I really believe you will have to choose. Those two words, we ought, in the Greek it means it is necessary. We ought. It is necessary. In other words, we must obey God rather than men. It's a huge statement for these men who just a short while ago were in hiding in the upper room. Being fearful of what might happen to them by society or the religious elite. They didn't say that we should obey, but rather that we must, we must obey what God has called us to do. You see, within this verse lies the answer to many of the problems within the universal church of Christianity today. I believe personally that we are seeing, what we are seeing in the Christian church today is not an obedience factor, but rather a convenience factor. Is the church close? Oh, let's go to that church. Do they have comfy chairs? Oh, let's go to that church. Do they have soft music? Oh, let's go to that church. Do they have loud music? Oh, they use lights and smoke? Oh, let's go to that church. Is it really growing fast? Oh, they must have it right on. Let's go to that church. It's about convenience. It's about feelings. Instead of, is the word of God being taught there? Is the Holy Spirit being relied upon? Are they actually telling people that they're sinners going to hell? Guys, in most Christian churches today, the word sin is not used. Teaching against homosexuality is not being taught because we don't want to cause anyone to leave the church. We would rather love them to hell than take them to heaven. This is the case of the church today in America. I believe that we are see, what we are seeing in the Christian church today is not an obedience factor, but a convenience factor. And if I'm way off, feel free to come up and tell me, but I don't think so. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21. If it's convenient for me and my lifestyle, then I will listen and obey what the word calls me to do. If the church tries to tell me that I can't live with my girlfriend and have sex outside of marriage, well, then I'm just going to go to another church. If a church tries to tell me that I can't cheat on my taxes, that I need to be honest with the government, that I need to give Caesar what belongs to Caesar, well, then I'm just going to go to another church. No, no, I really don't want to be like Jesus. I just want to be comfortable around people who think they want to be like Jesus too. You see, I'd rather pretend to be an obedient son but will end up justifying my fleshly position. Matthew twenty one twenty seven says, Then they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said to them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he repented. He turned, he changed, and he went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. 
Which of the two did the will of his father? They said unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Speaking to the religious elites. For John came in, came to you in the way of righteousness and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And you, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe him. Again, this is exactly why we have so many problems within the church today. People pick and choose the scriptures that they would like to obey. You see, the scriptures have become a spiritual smorgasbord. And if the world or some other church has or suggests a more convenient remedy, then some Christians will take that path. As we have seen in this chapter, this is not the way that God does things, guys, for you or for me. He's not going to change. God is looking for Bible-believing Christians who desire to obey no matter what the cost. Due to the various pressures that are coming upon the average person, it is becoming harder and harder to find these types of believers. But Peter, along with the rest of the apostles, tells it like it is. We must obey God rather than man. It is vital in the church today, guys, in the church today, that we stay focused on the word of God and make that same commitment. Verse 32. Uh, let's, um, sorry, let's go back to verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You'll notice the Trinity in those verses there, the triunity of the Godhead, once again. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all people and commanded them to be put and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Gamaliel is one of the most revered rabbis in Jewish history. Just a little quick history here. He was the grandson of Hillel, who was instrumental in the Jewish faith between 37 and 4 BC. To this day, most Jewish doctrine is referenced back to Hillel or Shema. Gamaliel was only one of seven who were given the title Rabin, a rabbi of rabbis. One of only seven a rabbi of rabbis. It was said by the Jews that when Gamaliel died that the glory of the law ceased and that purity and abstinence died. Even today there are songs still sung in Israel about Gamaliel. This man was a Pharisee and was held in great regard even by the Sadducees. It's also interesting. Does a name ring a bell to you with Gamaliel? Who was trained under Gamaliel? Saul, who became Paul. And Saul says what? I exceeded above my peers. I was perfect in the law. If Saul had not become Paul, he would have become the next Gamaliel. And probably would have become one of the most revered rabbis in all of Israel. So let's read on the power of this man. And he said to the men of Israel, take heed to yourselves and what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thotis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. They were slain. And all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men, as the music team comes up, and let them alone. I have this highlighted in my Bible. 
For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. 2,000 years later, the church is still alive today. It is a plan of God. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, nice guys, right? This is what religion does. Oh, you don't agree with us? We're going to beat you. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, whining and complaining about all that they had just went through. Did your Bible say that? Hello, wake up, it's almost over. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, home fellowships, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Isn't that awesome, guys? Whatever comes into our lives over the next few years, I think we'd all love to live happy, hunky-dory lives, go to heaven comfortably with all of our possessions behind us. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen that way. So I would encourage you to get geared up to, to, to get, the spirit, get in the spiritual battle that's taking place and to be ready to take a stand. Are we going to obey men more than God? Not me. They can have it all. I'm going to obey God. God's right. And I know the rest of the story. God wins. And every knee, every knee, believer as well as unbeliever as well as demonic spirits, I believe, are going to bend the knee and say, Jesus is Lord. Now, the unbeliever and the demonic spirits are obviously going to be in hell forevermore. So again, if you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, that's reality. You will bend your knee. You will. But your destiny is at stake if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, you just pray that prayer. It's not about the prayer. It's about your heart. You can pray at home if you'd like to. It's about your heart. If your heart says, I need a Savior, then what you pray, God hears, and you'll become a son or a daughter. If you don't, stiff-arm God. Go ahead. But don't ever blame God for not giving you an opportunity because he's giving you another one right now. God doesn't send anybody to hell. When we stiff-arm God, we choose to go to hell ourselves. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we're living in desperate days. There's, There's no debate about that. The debate comes down to our own personal lives. Am I willing to take a stand for Jesus? Am I willing to lose it all? Am I willing to obey the word of God and say that marriage is between one man and one woman? That living together outside of marriage and having sex, fornication, outside of marriage is not acceptable. Am I willing to take a stand and say that lying and cheating and stealing is not acceptable? It's a sin. I won't do it against my employer or against the government. Am I willing to take that stand? If not, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. It's not within our flesh to take a stand. We need more of your Holy Spirit. 
as the enemy presses in upon us as believers. We need more of your Holy Spirit. The apostles here are giving us this testimony. They were relying upon the Holy Spirit to fill them, to guide them, to direct them, and to obey the calling you placed on their lives, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. If you would like to receive Jesus this morning, just pray this simple prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I acknowledge that. I need a Savior. So I ask Jesus to come into my life right now. I ask your Holy Spirit to come into my life right now. I I don't understand that, but I'm going to obey. And I'm going to trust that you're going to show me what that all means through your word, through other Bible-believing Christians, through the church. Thank you, Father, that I am now your son. I am now your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand, guys. God bless you. Have a great day. Remember to lift up the name of Jesus this week. If you need prayer, please come up. We'll have elders up here to pray for you with oil. If you would like to receive Jesus or if you did receive Jesus, come up. Let us know. We'd love to pray for you guys. And again, the veterans or anyone who would like to help, we'll just meet over here in this area over here right after the service. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You are my rock. You are my rock. God bless you.